You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, good morning. For those of you, I don't know, did you, did you manage to escape the rain by coming in for the second service? Those who came for the first were... Uh, Came through a bit of a deluge, but it's, it's good it's stopped now. Someone got soaked. You got soaked, James. James got soaked. There we are. But uh, it's good to be here this morning. If you want a title for this morning's message, it's simply this. It's build the house, bring the kingdom. Build the house, bring the kingdom. You know, we've sung this morning that the kingdom of God reigns. And the kingdom of God does reign. His rule is unchallenged. And yet in the earth, his kingdom is not yet fully established. So his kingdom does reign, but we live in this tension of the now and the not yet. Jesus came to begin bringing his kingdom on earth, but it is not yet fulfilled and won't be completed until he returns. But it tells us in the New Testament, his kingdom is always advancing and he brings his kingdom through us, the church. And we can be passionate about bringing the kingdom, but as in many things in life, sometimes we know there's something that we want to get on with, that we believe in, we want to see outworked, but sometimes there's something that needs to be done first in order to outwork the second. So I don't know what it's like in your house. In our house, there's always some room or rooms that really needs decorating. And it's easy to go into the room and think, I could paint this room today. I could do this, it's not that big a deal, I just get the paint out, get on with it. But then I realize that actually if I'm gonna do the job properly, there's a whole lot of prep that needs doing first. The window frame needs sanding down, it involves sandpaper, it involves hard work, it's not just getting a paintbrush out and making it look pretty. There's prep that needs doing before the painting. I don't know if you've ever gone to cook a meal and found that the pots that you need to use are still in the sink. If you're a student here this morning, if you're just uh, starting as a student, this is something you're gonna become very familiar with. Someone else has used the pots, or maybe you used the pots and you just didn't wash them up. But you need to cook, but there's something else that needs to be done first. It's the same on a bigger scale. If you want to build a house, you make plans of what it's going to look like, of how it's going to rise up out of the ground and look phenomenal. But first, before you can begin building up, you have to dig down. You've got to build a hole. You've got to dig a trench so you can put some foundations in there. Or maybe you have a dream, something like you want to be a doctor. You're going to be a surgeon. You're going to save people. You're going to make them well. But right now, it means you've got to do A-level chemistry. Because sometimes there's some things that have to be done first in order to get us to where the dream will take us or where we want to get to. And the bringing of the kingdom is no different. In order to bring the kingdom, wow, there's someone really going for it down there. Are we all right? (laughs) In order to bring the kingdom, we have got to build the house first. And it's easy to get excited about bringing the kingdom. Here at CLM, we believe we exist to bring the kingdom of God. That's why we're here. We're not talking about a military kingdom. We're not talking about anything that requires physical force or violence, but we're talking about the kingdom of God, a kingdom of love and grace that comes through his mercy. We say we exist to bring the kingdom of God into every life 
and sphere of society, starting here in Coventry. It means reaching every person with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we believe that we're here to do, to let them know that Jesus came for them, went to the cross for them so that they wouldn't have an eternity without him in hell. We don't talk much about hell, but we do still believe that hell exists and we need to save a dying world from going there. Bringing the kingdom means setting free those who are oppressed. There are so many different ways in which people are oppressed. Injustice, poverty, spiritual powers, domestic abuse. And bringing the kingdom looks like getting alongside people and helping them get free. This week, Steve Jones and myself, we were able to go up and be involved in a consultation with Hope for Justice, who are a charity seeking globally to end modern day slavery. It's an audacious goal. But we're seeking to work with them. We partner with them. They're working here in the Midlands. Because do you know, there's some people who are captive here, even in Coventry. And part of bringing the kingdom is bringing freedom to the captives. Bringing the kingdom is about bringing integrity to business. I know there's some business owners, even in our congregation, who are doing business differently, who trust God, who make it look different. It's fair and it's righteous. They create jobs. Bringing the kingdom is speaking up for those who don't have a voice for themselves. Bringing the kingdom is being known where we live, where we work, as followers of Jesus. People whose lives look different, not because we're perfect, because none of us are, but because we're trusting in someone. We're about a different kingdom. We're following someone else. We have a different hope. And you know when the kingdom comes, then the presence of God becomes a present reality. It's easier for people to find him. People who are lost become aware of their sin, convicted of sin. We don't have to try and convince them they're a sinner. They know they're a sinner and they cry out to be saved because they want to find peace with God. This is what happens, friends, when the kingdom comes. Is there anybody who wants this kingdom to come in Coventry? Yes, yes we want this kingdom to come in Coventry. But if we want to bring the kingdom, then first... We have to build the house. We have to build the church. Do you know that the kingdom has to come first in us before we can take it out and carry it elsewhere? Because really, the kingdom of God is about his rule and his reign. And we can't take his rule and reign if it isn't already existing in us. If I'm not surrendered to Jesus and I go out there and I try to take something, then the best that I can do is build a kingdom that's partly for him and partly for me. And that's not going to be life-giving to the world around me. And it won't be if you do that either. But as the church, the church is here to help us become like Jesus. The church is here to help us grow in our surrender to him, in our bowing down to his rule and reign in the things of our hearts and our thoughts and our lives. You see, it's very true that we would all love for the kingdom of God to come in Coventry. But there's a reality that on Monday morning, there's a wrestle in every single one of us to be truly surrendered to his rule and reign in our own hearts. There's part of every one of us that still wants to build our own kingdom and do our own thing. None of us is yet fully surrendered. 
So the house, the church, is where we come to grow. It's where we come to learn together. It's where we can share in life groups. We can be real about the struggles, real about the things we're still wrestling with, and others can help us and give strength to us in the journey. Sometimes just the accountability, bringing our things into the light, makes the difference and helps us to move forward and live differently. Surrendered to Jesus Christ. It's where we learn, it's where we grow, it's where we become kingdom bringers. The church is God's tool for bringing the kingdom. So if we want to bring the kingdom, we first have to build the house. We have to build the house. In a moment, I'm going to bring us to some verses in Ezra, which, you know, isn't a book we preach from very often, but there's some building of the house goes on there. But before we get there, I want to take us very briefly on a whistle-stop tour through some of the Old Testament. You see, because the story of the Bible is the story of God's kingdom. I don't know if you realize that. It's there throughout. Right from the start in Genesis, God's creating a kingdom on earth where man can live in his rule and reign. And at first, it's brilliant because they live in his kingdom. They submit to his rule and his reign, but it's only... Well, it only takes till chapter three, as some of us know, when the serpent deceives them and they choose not to do it God's way. They say, I've got a better kingdom and it's my kingdom. I think I'll make the choice. Thank you, God. And from there, God's purpose begins to unravel. And so then what we see through scripture is God always seeking to call out a people to be his people who will live in his kingdom and will establish his kingdom. It's, where, it's why he calls out Abraham to start that people. And then we go through Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, bringing the people out in Exodus, delivering them. And we find there, under Moses' rule, there's a tent and a tabernacle in the middle of God's people. His house established the place he dwells. And he's given the Ten Commandments, showing the people how to live as a different people. Because God's rule and reign, we need helping understand what that looks like, don't we? He says, this is what it's like. And he gives them the Ten Commandments. Live like this, and that's what my people will look like. You see, the plan was always for there to be a distinct people living by God's rules. Living differently so other nations could see that's what life should look like. And that must be the true and living God because it works when people live like that. Moses obviously passes on to Joshua and the people get given a land and they go in and they take it, but they struggle to live by the rules that they're given. And so by the time we get into Judges, there's all kinds of nonsense going on where the people are kind of fluctuating between serving God and not serving God. And God gives them a deliverer and they come back to him and then they wander their own way again and cry out to him. And it's all, it's all a bit messy. And when we get to Samuel and kings in the Bible, we hear about David and Solomon, the two kings of Israel, under whom we see something more, a better picture of what the kingdom's meant to look like. You see, David brought peace in the land, and then Solomon finally built a house for the Lord. He built a house, and you can read about it being dedicated, and it says the glory of the Lord filled the house. And in that season, as the house was built, and as the glory filled the house, it, we also read that the kingdom was extended. It's the only time, it's the only time in the Old Testament that all the land that was given to Israel was inhabited by them. When the house was built, when God's glory filled it, then the kingdom was extended and inhabited. People living how they should have been living with the worshiping community around 
the house of the Lord. And what happened in that season, you can read about it in 2 Chronicles 9, there's someone called the Queen of Sheba who comes to visit Solomon. And it's, it's good to see this because this shows us what God's kingdom should look like to outsiders. The Queen of Sheba was not a follower of the God of Israel, but she heard what it looked like in his land. She'd heard that it was amazing. She'd heard it was great. She'd heard that Solomon was like no other king. And so she went to have a look. And it says that she came and said, I'd heard of this, but I didn't believe it till I saw with my own eyes. And she says, praise be to the God of heaven who's put you on his throne to be Lord and king for him. Wow. You see, when God's people live where he's told them to live and live as they've told him to live and have a house where he's there and where they worship him and and they get their lives in line with him, then those who don't yet know him hear about it and come to see because something's different, profoundly different. And when they come and they see, they say, praise be to the God of heaven. I'd heard of something, but I didn't know it was going to be like this. Wow. You see, this is what it's meant to look like, friends. This is why holiness is important. This is why our lives need to line up because it's always saying something to those outside. It's showing them who the true and the living God is. Now, sadly, it's only a snapshot in the Old Testament where it's going well. Because just like you and me, Solomon wrestles, struggles, isn't completely surrendered. And so he follows and takes uh, wives from other nations who follow other gods, and it ends up corrupting his own heart. And once again, the kingdom unravels. And what happens to God's people is eventually they get, they get exiled. The kingdom's divided, and then they're exiled, such that the people are no longer in the land God has given them. They're nowhere near the house of God. In fact, the house of God gets destroyed, and the land gets occupied by an invading army. And that's how it is for 70 years before we hear from Ezra, where I want to take us this morning. That was the backdrop. They tasted the kingdom. For a moment there in scripture, it had been how it was meant to be, and then it had all been lost, all unraveled, completely undone. And that's how it was for 70 years. And if I can take you to Ezra chapter 1. I can't really imagine what it would have been like for these people. Maybe some of you have been refugees and had to leave your land and you might have more of an idea what it was like for the people of Israel to have been carried off. I can't imagine. This was a people whose very identity was to be God's people living in his land and they had thrown it away, rebelled against him and then been carried off as prisoners. And a whole generation, generations were growing up outside of God's plans and purposes. Seventy years had passed. And then a new king. Here we are. We're going to read verse 1 to 7. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what the king of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. 
And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. So here we are, the kingdom's unraveled, the temple's been broken down, 70 years pass, and then God does something. He moves the heart of a foreign king. A king who does not follow God, a king who has no reason really to do this except that the Lord moves his heart. Moves his heart that a house for God would be built in Jerusalem again. And so basically he opens this up to the people who've been exiled and he says, okay, any of you wanna go back, you can go back. You can go back and start building if you wanna build this house for God. And it says God moved the hearts of some of the people to do so. And they begin to prepare to move and to go back and to build a house. And others of them bring stuff, bring gold and silver to enable them to go and to build the house. And it says even Cyrus dug out all the things that had been carried off from the temple by Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king who'd kind of plundered the land. And he gave it back to them to take it, go and build the temple and put the stuff back in it. Wow, what a turnaround of events. And so they go back and they begin to build. In, in spite of being afraid, they get on with it. They build an altar, they build a foundation, and they begin to build the church. They begin to build the house of God. And there's more giving of money and stuff by various people, making preparations, sending orders to Lebanon for wood and all of that. And eventually they're able to build the foundation of the Lord. And then it says, as what can often happen when we begin to build the house of God. It says, when the enemies of God's people heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, it says they set out to discourage the people of Judah and Benjamin. In Ezra 4, verse 4, it says, to make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, I know, friends, sometimes we can be slow to recognize that God's enemies always oppose the building of God's house. But God's enemies hate the building of God's house because it always leads to the bringing of the kingdom. And so here we find, as so often happens, when they set out to build the house, they face opposition. I don't know if you ever found this. When you determine in your heart that you're going to serve or you're going to give, then something maybe changes in your life. You commit to serve somewhere and then you find your shift pattern changes and you find it hard to get to church. Or something else happens or your, ch your children want to do something else and, it, and it, it's compromised. Maybe you decide that you're going to give and then something happens in your finances. I know when we, when we first set out with Martin going full time in ministry to, to build the house in Nottingham where we were, it was in a season of life. I was just leaving work because I was expecting our first baby. He'd been working for Walker's Crisps, and uh, you know we took the company car back, drove back home in our little banger, and uh, asked the Lord to help us. And you know what happened in that first month when we'd committed we were going to serve the Lord wholeheartedly and build his house? Well, 
the car broke. In fact, the car completely died. The toilet then broke, as toilets do sometimes. And then on a Sunday night, it started to pour with rain, and normally it rains outside your house, but on this occasion, it began to rain inside our house as all these torrents of water came through the window frame. And we sat on the edge of the bed in our bedroom with the water coming in and went, Lord, <laughs> Lord, help us. You see, because faith will always get tested, and when we set out to serve and build the house, it will be opposed. And the Lord helped us, and someone gave us a car, and the toilet got mended. I can't remember what happened about the window, but we don't live there anymore, so that's all good. But when we set out to build the house, we face opposition, and it was no different in Ezra's day. Because God's enemies hate the building of the house, because when we build the house, then we can begin to bring the kingdom. But what happened in that story is that the building stopped. Nothing else happened. The people were too afraid and they stopped it until if you read the story and you get to chapter five, it says, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, they brought a word to the people. And it was through the word of the prophet that they were encouraged to start building again. And building work continued. And it actually says, and I love this, it says, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. You know, there's some people in the life of the church, sometimes they think they're the prophet, like that's my role, I'm just gonna bring the word, that's the only thing. So I love it in this story, it's like the prophets, they brought the word, they encouraged the people, and then they rolled their sleeves up, and they got alongside them, and they did it too. The prophets were with them, helping them. Because of the prophetic, then the building carried on and was completed. And if you read through the rest of the story, and as well, it, it gets completed. The house gets built. The rhythm of worship gets restored. The people begin to get their lives back on track. You can read Ezra 9 and 10, things were not all as they should have been in their lives, and it takes a bit of shifting back, but that is what is going on with God's people. It was an encouraging read. You see, I read through this in our week of prayer and fasting, and I was moved again just about the building of God's house. We have to build the house to bring the kingdom. I was reminded that the building will always be opposed, but the prophetic will always help us and strengthen us. And that was all well and good. Until then, the start of last week, when I thought coming out of a week of prayer and fasting, well, I'm gonna read Haggai and Zechariah next. Let's see, what were these words that brought such strength, such encouragement that helped these fearful people to build again? What was it? And so I turned and began to read in Haggai. And let me read you some of the verses that I read. We start off, Haggai 1, verse 3. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? And then in verse 7 and 8, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Wow. It wasn't quite the encouraging, strengthening word that I was expecting to find there. But you do read that the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of God, feared the Lord, and carried on with the work. And then Haggai brings the word that says, I'm with you. 
And I was deeply challenged by these words. I mean, they're deeply challenging words. But you know, whenever we read the word, if we're asking the Lord to search our hearts with it, which is a good way to read the word of God, because it's there to help us and to shape us. But as I did this, the Lord was challenging me. You see, there'd been a conversation that had been beginning in our household. And because, you see, we know that there's a vision offering coming up in a few weeks' time, and maybe you're in the same place as we are. We're still paying our next level offering pledge. These last few months have been a challenge for us in our house. Last year, we had some miraculous provision in the middle of the summer, and this year's offering has, has not looked quite so glorious, let's say. But the Lord is faithful. In fact, he's been so faithful that I looked at my P60 last week and I realized that should we manage to fulfill our pledge in the next three weeks, which I believe we will do, that over the last two years, we will have given the full amount of my gross earnings from last year, over two years, by the grace of God. And it's been a challenge and we have simply stepped out and sought to be obedient to the Lord and he has helped us. But you see, before Vision 82 years ago, there were some things that needed replacing in our household because stuff doesn't last forever, does it? And so we'd saved up a little bit of money, but when it came to Vision 80, the thing that the, put, the Lord put in our hearts to do meant that we gave that money. And although the Lord blessed us in that year and particularly uh, making way for us to have an amazing holiday, the things that we needed replacing were not replaced and they remain to be replaced. And so we've begun this conversation in our house that had kind of been saying, we're gonna to need to approach it differently this year. It's gonna to need to look a bit different this year. We need to attend to some things in our household this year. I'm sorry if you're shocked that that's the way your pastors have been speaking behind closed doors, this faithless response. But that's where we were kind of looking at the things and the needs of our house, saying we've got to do it differently. We can't, you know, we can't just go all out there like we have done the last two years. And that's where we were until I read Ezra, until I read Haggai, until I was encouraged again that we have to build the house to bring the kingdom. Before I read the words that said, my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with his own house. Now, I began to talk to Martin this week. Pastor Martin this morning, by the way, is preaching at a church in Birmingham. That's why he's not here today. But I knew that I was going to bring some of this this morning. I said, I, I'm deeply challenged by this verse. Look, this is what we've been saying, but this is what the Lord says. And he said, yeah, but the house isn't a ruin. I said, no, it's not a ruin. But compared to the glory of what Jesus wants to do in his church, we're a ruin. We've made a start but compared to what he wants this to look like, compared to a house that's built, compared to a house that's paid off its debt, compared to a house that is full of a people who are living aligned to him, compared to a house that is full of his glory. We're not much more than a ruin. Yes, we have an altar, we have a foundation, but we're not done yet. We're not completed yet. Now it's true, by the grace of God and by the faithful giving of you, his people, we have attacked the mountain of debt that we had on this building. And in fact, just this week, it's my delight to be able to tell you that because of the financial situation the church is in, we've been able to allocate another 100,000 pounds to take off our mortgage. 
And what that means is that over the last few years, from a starting point of 1.8 million pounds, which was the mortgage that we had on the building, we have been able to pay over a million pounds of that off. I mean, just look around. We've paid more than a million pounds off a building. Just little us. This is uh, just a testimony to the kindness and provision of God and the adventure of faith that we're on here together. But we're not there yet. We're still building a staff team little by little as finance allows to help us fulfill the vision, to help us pastor, disciple, release a growing congregation. I don't know if you know, but most Sundays there's between 900 and 1,000 people come to worship here every week. And that takes a growing team to connect, to serve, to pastor. And we'd begun contemplating the needs of our household and approaching the building of the house differently this year, but I felt challenged by his word. Is it time for you to be busy with your own house? Now, true, there have been seasons where the Lord has instructed us to be busy with our own house. And that may be the case for you, but I knew as I read these words that this was not one of those seasons. Now, we haven't yet begun the process of asking God what he wants us to do this year. We need need to finish paying last times first. But I know that we will come and do again as we have done before and just ask the Lord, say, what do you want us to do, Lord? And by his grace, we will seek to obey and we'll trust him for the needs of our household. But I know that as we come and begin to talk about a vision offering again, it's not unreasonable for us to say, why do we do this every year? Why do we do this? Why do we have a vision offering? Well, it's because we're here. We exist to bring the kingdom of God. But to bring the kingdom, you've got to build the house. To bring the kingdom, you've got to build the house. It's through the house that people become kingdom bringers. It's through the house that people let find the rule and reign of Jesus and let it impact their lives as we worship together week in and week out and journey together. It's here in the church that we journey and Jesus becomes our all in all, which is the prerequisite for bringing the kingdom. And you know, as the Lord challenged the people of Haggai, he gave them some strong words, but he also assured them, he said, I am with you. And he also said these amazing words, I will fill my house with glory. I will fill my house with glory. I don't know what you come to church for on a Sunday. I don't know what you desire to see in the church. I desire for the house to be filled with his glory, filled with the knowledge of all that he is and what he is like. I desire to see a church that's full of his glory, that when someone comes in who's never met him before, they walk in the house and they taste him. They encounter him because his presence is here. And I'm grateful for the measure of his presence that is here, but I'm also hungry for more, a greater measure of his glory, a greater measure of his presence. We're seeking to keep building a church here that grows kingdom bringers, helps them mature in their faith, helps them get rooted in Jesus Christ, help them find their God-given gifts and their kingdom assignment. Because if we keep building the house, then we can bring the kingdom in our city. If we keep building the house, we can 
bring the kingdom in our city. We can change our city. We can transform our city. But it's going to take every one of us. Just as in Ezra, it was the work of the whole remnant of the people. Building the house is everybody's business. You may well ask this morning, how do we build the house? Well, yeah, there is a financial component to building the house. And we will have a vision offering in the next few weeks. And we will ask you simply to ask the Lord what he would like you to do. And we would encourage you to do what he says. But it's also about prayer. You know, the house is built by prayer. The house is protected by prayer. The building of the house is always opposed. And so we have to pray. And we're grateful to the faithful prayers in the house. We have some great times of praying together. And yet some of you have never been to pray. Some of you never come. And maybe when, like this morning, we have a slide that goes up for prayer and praise on the 5th of October, you don't even really engage with it because you think it's someone else's business. I want to say, if this is your home church, prayer is your business. Building the house requires prayer, and we need you. And we don't need professional prayers. We don't need people who are brilliant and eloquent, but we need you to come and align your will and join it with our hearts as we ask the Lord to build his house here because the house is built by prayer. And if this is your house, then it's your business. Building the house also takes serving, giving of your time and your talents. And you know, there's so many people in the church who give of themselves to build the church. It's the only reason why we've got as far as we've got. But some of us are really happy for others to do the serving. Some of us are happy for everyone else to make Sundays work. But you know, when we serve, we help to build the house. And also, we grow. Sometimes we find our giftings when we just have a go at serving and we find that we love something or are good at something. And as much as anything else, when we serve, we become like Jesus because he is the one who didn't come to be served but to serve, it says of him in the Gospels. Building the house requires serving. If this is your home, then serving is your business here. Build the house. I noted that in the story of Ezra, the people, in order to get their lives right, first they needed to build the house and establish a rhythm of worship. This came first. This was part of the order of their lives as God's people. And we see a really worrying trend among God's people, not just here at CLM, but across the nation where people don't necessarily go to church every week anymore but they come maybe once a fortnight, maybe once every three weeks. We see it because we keep rotors of when our children attend and they don't come every week. And we begin to think, well, where's, where's the rhythm of worship? Where's the giving the first of our week to the Lord? And I understand sometimes there's shift patterns, sometimes there's pressures, but sometimes it's just that we've given away the priority of worship. Sometimes it's just that we've let other things get more important. But actually, it's fundamental is our rhythm of coming and worshipping the Lord together. Do you know, last week it was so interesting. I know we talk a lot about getting to church on time, and maybe you're fed up of hearing it. But something really interesting happened last week. Because in our first service, um, you know, sometimes we have a run of worship, don't we? And by the end of the run of worship, we normally, we're seeking to get somewhere where there's a real sense of God's presence and we feel like we've connected with God. And last week in our first service, by the second song, we had come into God's presence. There was a sweetness that even before we came to take bread and the cup at communion, we had encountered the Lord. 
Same run in service two, but you know in service two, in the second song, still many, many people were still arriving. And so there wasn't the same focus or the attention. There wasn't the same connection in worship. And in fact, we didn't really get as far in the second service as we did in the first. Now, sometimes the people in the first service are late too, so I'm not dissing you as a congregation. What I just want to do is express that if we want the glory of God to fill his house, then we have to prioritize our rhythm of worship. We have to treat it with the respect we deserve. We can't turn up late, but then expect the Lord to manifest his glory here. Because he doesn't come just to meet the guys on the stage. He comes to inhabit the praises of his people, and that's you, and that's me. He comes to meet us as we bring something of an offering from our hearts, as we bring our worship. Friends, let's prioritize his house, the building of his house, the rhythm of our worship. Tamsin, I wonder if you could help. Some strong words here this morning. But I don't apologize, because I know as we've sung today, the Lord is going to come back one day. And every one of us is going to stand before him. And we will give account for what we invested in. We'll give account for what was important to us. We'll give account for what we prioritized. I know that I don't want to be ashamed on that day. He's entrusted us with a kingdom to bring. In the midst of a city that's full of broken people, lost people who need to know. They don't even know. They don't even know that God sent his own son to die for them. That's how loved they are. That's how precious they are. That's how valued they are. This is the kingdom that he's given us, the kingdom of love, a kingdom of salvation. There's many people we know by name. There's many more that we don't even know, but he knows every name. He died for everyone. He carried their sin and their shame on the cross. They need us to bring the kingdom of God to them. They need us to show them something different. They need us to show them that there is a people living differently with God in the center. Not that we've got it all right or got it all sorted, but our lives are centered around the King of a different kingdom that makes sense of life, that brings freedom and liberty and love and eternal life. It's a simple question really as I come to finish. Is will you build the house to bring the kingdom? Will you build his house? Will you let his kingdom reign in your heart? Will you keep growing in your walk with Jesus so that his kingdom reigns in you? So that together we can bring the kingdom outside these walls. Friends, let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, we thank you that your kingdom, it does reign. We thank you that you're the undisputed king of heaven, unrivaled, matchless. 
And we thank you that you haven't given up on bringing your kingdom in the earth and redeeming mankind, and that your kingdom is advancing. And we marvel at the mystery that you use us, your people, to do it. You use us, your church, to bring your kingdom. What an incredible privilege. What a thing to be entrusted with. And Lord, we're challenged by your word again today. So we come and ask for your help. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us your spirit in us. That we're not just trying to live by your rule and your reign without help, but you've given us help on the inside. That we would want to do what you desire and we would be enabled to do what you desire. We pray, Lord, that we'd be empowered by your spirit to live as your people to look like your people, to show others what it looks like for there to be a kingdom people with Jesus Christ, the King in our center. That Lord, for those who see us from the outside, they would say, praise be to the God of heaven because I have seen him and I've found him because of his presence among his people. So Lord, we just ask that you'd help us to be those who build your house, to be those who grow as your people and to be those who bring your kingdom. And the cry of our hearts again today, Lord, is let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, glorifying Jesus, lifting him up, showing his glory to the world that so desperately needs it. Jesus, be exalted, be glorified, and be the center of our lives, we pray. Amen. 